Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times. My name is Kevin. I am your host and guy who likes to sound like he's on the radio. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times, here's a quick primer. Uh, Sad Times is a show where we have a guest on every week, and each guest comes on, is generous with their time, and tells something from their life. It could be a full life story. It could be times in their life when they were upset, sad, angry. Fill it in however you'd like, because I firmly believe that we all go through this stuff. However, we don't always talk about it. So the goal of this show is to have people on to tell their stories so that you at home or in the car or in the board meeting with one earbud in can listen to this and say, hey, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And then we can all maybe feel a little less alone. We believe that if we're able to talk about this, we can be a bit more empathetic. And, and again, we'll feel a little less alone. Before we get to today's guest, we do have two wonderful sponsors. One of them, uh, as you will not be surprised, Brent found. Um, so our first sponsor is IVRs. That's Interactive Voice Responses. Uh, and they say, IVRs, don't know who we are? If so, press one. If you do know what we are, press two. I see you have selected two. If you need to talk to a human, fuck you. If you would like to stay on the line until you hit so many numbers that you've recreated one of Beethoven's sonatas, but without the genius or joy of art, press star. That's IVRs. We'll be there at the end of the world. Will you? Brent, I, stop. I, I don't know why you're getting these. Fucking weird, man. All right. Here's another one that reached out to me. Thank, thankfully, did not go through Brent. Today's episode of Sad Times is also brought to you by books. Yes, that's books. We brought you the whole of civilization, but we thought we would expand our portfolio into a less than middling podcast. Wow. Thank you, books. That's wonderful. Uh, well, uh, speaking of books, uh, our guest today is someone who has a book coming out, but has done so much with her life and uh, is, is really an inspiring person. Her name is Siri Lindley. Siri, how are you doing today? I am doing great, and I am so thrilled to be on this podcast with you, Kevin. So thank you for having me. And, you know, in that intro, it's just, it's so true. When we talk about our struggles and people are listening, they think they're the only one who feels these things, but they realize they're not alone. There's such power in this. So thank you for having me. It's such a privilege. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, I, I mentioned your book. Uh, it's called Finding a Way, Taking the Impossible and Making it Possible. I have been lucky enough to read the book. It's coming out June 20th. I want to start with the first line of the book that you say. You're uh, call me Ishmael, if you will. Uh, you say you get to go first in deciding what story you want to live. Now, when I was reading the copy of this book, I read that and I thought, that sounds great. But wait, what does that mean? Can you kind of tell us a little bit about kind of what you meant by that? Absolutely. And I think the biggest transformation for me came when I finally owned my experience of life and realized that my suffering in large part was due to what I was consistently focusing on, mm. what was missing, what was wrong, what I didn't want to have happen, what I had no control over. And the meaning that I was giving the things that happened to me, the language that I used to describe it. So think about this. If you're all you're thinking about is what is missing, what's wrong, what you have no control over, you 
feel despair. You, you feel anxious. Right. You feel fearful, doubtful, all these horrible things. Mm-hmm. Now, no matter what you're going through, we get to give it the meaning, right? Yes. And for example, you get a diagnosis, a bad diagnosis, mm-hmm. and you can give it the meaning that this is the end. And think about that. If you give it that meaning, how, how are you going to show up? Are you going to show up ready to fight? Are you going to show up with hope for this compelling future ahead right. of you? No, you're just going to you're going to be devastated that it's the end. You're almost making it a fate accompli, really. It's like, oh, you've told me this. It's the end. Well, then it's the end, right? That's right. And that's how you'll show up. You'll show up as if it's the end. Whereas we get to go first in deciding what meaning to give any situation. So you get that diagnosis. What if, okay, what if what I'm going through now is preparing me for what I asked for? What if mm-hmm. in moving through this challenge, in, in doing everything that I can to overcome it, what if in doing that, I become the person that I've always dreamed I could be? Yeah. And how do you think I show up then? If I give it a more empowering meaning, this horrible situation, but if I give it a more empowering meaning, I'm going to show up with hope, with energy. I'll be focusing on what I have. My God, I have health insurance. I have support. I have love. I know that I can work hard at something and I know I'll never give up. And that will lead to a totally different result. I, all right. Well, this has been a great episode of Sad Times. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that is so well said. And I remember... Uh, you speak a lot in the book about your mentor, Tony Robbins, who also writes a really touching forward. And um, there is something that caught me early on in the book. You, you quoted him as saying, where focus goes, energy flows. And exactly what you just said there, I have spent more time than I care to admit focusing on the negative. And I never thought about my energy is now going to the negative, right? So just really empowering things to think about. And it's really, you know, people say, well, change your story, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think what you do so well in this book throughout the book is that you not only say, hey, just think different. You say, this is how I myself have learned to think different. And here, here are some things that you can focus on. So um, let's talk about how the most one of the most amazing things I've ever heard, which was at the age of, I believe, 23, uh, you decided I'm going to be a triathlete. Uh, pretty extraordinary, not nothing out of the crazy, crazy ordinary, except you didn't know how to swim. Yeah. So, I mean, this was a crazy, impossible dream, but let me give you some more context about why. Why would I do something like this? And at the time, uh, I had just realized that I was gay. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was, you know, pretty upsetting because I knew that that was going to make things difficult for me, but I was coming to terms with it and thinking, at least I know who I am and I can work with that. But the problem came when about two years after my discovery, my dad found out and he called me on the phone. Now, my dad was my best friend, my greatest source of love, my biggest fan. And he was crying on the other end of the phone and he couldn't even find his words. He was crying that hard. And I thought he was calling to tell me that he was dying. When he found his words, he said, somebody told me you're gay. 
I couldn't possibly have a daughter that's gay. I beg you, Siri Lindley, tell me that this isn't true. And in this moment, like, this is, this is my dad. And he's basically telling me that, that if I'm who I really am, I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. I don't belong. And when I told him it was true, he hung up the phone and I didn't hear from him for the next two years. And, you know, in that moment, it made me feel like everything that I'd become, all that I was meant absolutely nothing now that I was gay. But in this, Kevin, there's a story he's telling me, right? And the story is because you're gay, you're not lovable, you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments where you get to go first in deciding what story you want to live. I wasn't willing to live that story. And for the rest of my life, feel like I don't belong and I'm unlovable. So I needed to become the person that, that knew that being me, being all of who I am would be where my magic lies, will be where I can create the life that you know, where I can be loved and I can love myself and I can make a difference in the world and I can inspire people. And so when I, I went and I watched a race, a friend of mine doing triathlon and I was blown away, never seen one before, blown away by how many different people, different ages, different sizes, different ability levels. Uh Every single one of them was out there pushing themselves beyond what they thought they were capable of. Like they were finding themselves through this challenge. Okay. And I thought, what a, what a way for me to find myself because right now I know I'm gay. And right now I'm being told that that's like the worst thing you could possibly be. But in this, maybe I'll earn a respect for myself, a love for myself. Maybe I can prove to myself that I am worthy. So it was in taking on this impossible goal. I didn't know how to swim. I came in dead last first race, dead last humiliated myself. People laughed at me, Well, that's but rude. I knew that if I could back myself for this, that I would become that person. What would she do? The one that could be the best in the world in uh-huh. the sport? Like what actions would she take? What decisions would she make? What would she know about showing up day after day after day and giving her heart and soul and trying to make this happen? Yeah. And, and that's who I became. And it, it 100% is. And you write so eloquently about, um, did you move to, was it Spain? Where did you move uh, for uh, training? Boulder, Colorado, the mecca of the sport. Uh, Boulder, Colorado. But when you, you went to a world-class trainer whose name I don't recall. Oh, uh, Brett Sutton. Yes. Switzerland. 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 That's right. Um, <laughs> Spain, Switzerland, you know, starts with S. Um, like Siri. Uh, we, you went there and early on he, you were running. I, I think it was, you were running as hard as you can. He goes, he said something to you like, go harder. And you're like, I can't. And he said something like, figure it out. Right. Find and a find a way. That's it. Find a way. Hey, all right. Find a way. Uh, <laughs> and you know, you talk about something like that. Now you, you were 23 when you decided that you wanted to be a triathlete. Um, and then how, how long until you felt that you were quote, did you ever feel you were quote successful in what you were trying to do? Like, did you finally say, oh, I'm quote unquote worth something now because I have made this goal or no? Well, that was what I was after, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was my why behind taking this on. I think that what the greatest gift that came out of this, and even when I won the world championship eight years later, it wasn't 
putting the gold medal around my neck. That was a victory. It was that for the first time in my life, I felt like I had proved to me that I, who I am, I am someone that will never give up. No matter how many times I fail and fall over, like I'm not going to give up on me. I'm never going to give in. I'm going to keep showing up and, and, and leaning in and giving my best. And in that, I found a love for myself. In that, I found a worthiness from within. And I feel for every single human being on this planet that the love that we crave the most is our own. The love that we crave the most, like we think it's other people, our partner, our parents, our friends. It's not. Because when you finally feel that love for yourself from within, you realize that that's what you've been searching for, for a lifetime. Yeah, Um I, I, um, I think that's so true. Uh, sorry. Sometimes I close my eyes when I'm really listening hard. Um, it's not that I am ignoring you. I'm really listening. I'm just trying to ignore Brent though. Uh, (laughs) but you, you know, that's so true. And I'm just realizing that, I don't know, over the last five, six years, um, it's got to start with me and something that I say at the end of every one of these episodes is there's always room, um, no matter the situation, there's always room for kindness and grace, especially when you're speaking to yourself. Mm. Yes. And you know what? Like people say, treat others as you would treat yourself. Bullshit. Right. (laughs) Treat yourself like you treat others. Have that same kindness, that same consideration, that same compassion, that same grace. Show that to yourself. Just try it every single day to show yourself a little bit more grace a little bit more love and it, see how things shift for you. It it really is true. It, it If you just give yourself just a little, you just are inching forward, inching forward, inching forward, inching forward. Um, and you, you know, you're talking about the struggle, the struggle of training, the struggle of that conversation that you had with your dad. And then you said, well, maybe this is preparing me for, or um, preparing me who I'm going to be another really big theme that comes out in the book. And, and I think your belief system is that there's a gift in every struggle, which I, I think that's 100% true. I, I like to refer to myself as the, the person who perpetually touches the hot stove. I just keep touching it. And they're like, Kevin, it's going to be hot. I'm like, well, maybe not this time. And then I do it, but that's the only way that I learn. Right. And they're taking that hardship and saying, there's a gift in this. Uh, it's not easy to do sometimes, especially when it's really f- fucking pounding down on you, but it is a kind of a game changer. It's a total game changer. And I think that, you know, we can all, even in this moment, look back at our greatest challenges. And if I, if I ask you to dive deep into thinking about what gifts did come out of that, who wouldn't you be if mm. that hadn't happened? What what characteristics do you have that were born in that situation? Because if you think about it so often, our greatest strengths were born in the struggle, right? They were born in the pain and it doesn't make, you know, for example, when I, when I got diagnosed and I was so sick, like it doesn't make it any easier to think, Oh, there's going to be a gift in this. But what it does do is when you stack your proof about, all those challenges you've been through and, and the good that did come out of it ultimately, it sees you moving through the challenge with a little bit more grace, I guess, mm-hmm. a little bit more, a little less resistance 
because there's this hope, there's this hope that this too shall lead to something that will be a gift. And, you know, I think one of the biggest gifts from being sick and, and, you know, I got sick when I was 49 years old and. Can I interrupt for one second? Yes, Can you just tell us what, when you say diagnosis, can you tell us what, what, what were you diagnosed with? What happened? So. I had finally gotten my life to a place where I was pretty much free from my anxiety, my fears, my worries. I'd found the love of my life. You know, I had a career that I just loved. And I got diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia, with, which is a deadly disease in itself. But also I had a genetic mutation that made it, in my doctor's mind, almost impossible to treat. And, but I wasn't willing to live the story that he was telling me that this was the end. Mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to live that. And so I declared on the day of my diagnosis that I am going to survive this and I'm going to thrive. Now I didn't believe that in that moment. That's a key thing to say. You're exactly right. Yeah. I didn't believe that. God, no. Like, I was devastated. I was terrified, but I couldn't afford to live the story he was telling me. So in declaring this, I, I was basically committing to figuring out what would, what would she do? The one that's going to survive this, what would she do? Well, number one, she's going to give this an empowering meaning. What I'm going through now is preparing me for what I asked for. It's going to help me become the person I need to become. What would she do? Well, she would, she would leave no stone unturned. She would do everything in her power to find a way to survive this. She'll go on two clinical trials. She'll, you know, get the best doctors in the world. Like when you give something like this an empowering meaning, you make a lot, you make better decisions. You become resourceful. You take action. You do the things that are necessary in order to overcome, in order to survive. So, you know, at this time, I had this belief, and I only realized this when I'm in the midst of being sick, but I had a belief that I was loved because how I was never a problem in people's lives. I was always there to help. I was always giving. I was always achieving. I was always inspiring. Suddenly I get so sick where I can't do anything for myself. Cancer brings you to your knees and I'm terrified. I feel like I'm not inspiring. I'm not giving. I'm the biggest problem on the planet. I'm the biggest worry. And I actually thought that my wife, my everything was going to leave me. Because I was no longer lovable by the standards that I thought I was. But the ultimate gift that came from this disease is she didn't go anywhere. She loved me seemingly more than she ever had. And what I realized was I'm not loved for my accomplishments. I'm not loved for all that I give or what I achieve. Like, I am loved for me. I'm loved because of my heart and my spirit. And my passion for life. And I'm sure, Kevin, and everyone listening, that you can feel the magnitude of that gift. Mm -hmm. To understand that my worthiness doesn't lie, because a lot of us feel like our worthiness lies in the title we have at work, or the money we make, or the car we drive, or the number of followers. Bullshit. It's none of that. Right. 
think about like, why do you think about the person you love most in your life? Why do you love them? It's not their followers. It's not their achievements. It's not their title. You love them probably because they're kind and they're loving. Mm -hmm. They care about you. Well, guess what? I bet you do all those things too. So why don't you find yourself as worthy as you find them? That's that's so right. And like uh, my therapist, I'll I'll be talking to her and I'll say, well, I did this and I'm an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And she'll say, now, Kevin, just a moment now. Now, let's just say that your sister, who you love, even though she's not a doctor, uh, that let's say she did that. What would you do? I'd say, well, I'd be like, oh, hey, man, that happens all the time. She goes, well, why not with you? And I go, well, because it's me. And I think for me, I can't speak for anybody else. I think for me with OCD that I've battled and all these things, it's a form of control perhaps that if I'm hard on myself all the time, I'm in control some way. I don't know if that's the case, but the fact that we do treat ourselves so poorly when we treat those we love or try our best to treat those we love with the most utmost respect. So why not for ourselves? That's right. And you get to choose again. You get to go first in deciding, are you going to feel in control by being hard on yourself? What about the real, the, the best kind of control that's, that's made of love and kindness is you offering yourself that same grace that you mm. give others? What if that's being in control, in control of living the life you want to live, a life that feels good, a life where when you're building yourself up, you can even that much more effectively build up those around you. When you uplift yourself, you can better uplift everyone around you. It's, these are patterns, right? It's patterns of how we treat ourselves, that the being hard on myself is how I feel in control. What about like that pattern? Is it really serving you? Is it bringing out the best in you? Yeah. It's, uh, this is obviously an audio medium, but uh, both Brent and I are like uh, nodding our heads. <laughs> and I love the idea of you are not your achievements or your achievements do not make your worth. I, I can say it's a Tuesday. Did I write enough words today? Um, did I read enough? Did I do laundry? Like small things or big things, right? And it's like, well, I could do none of those things and I'd still be myself. And that's a really empowering and freeing thing to think about as well. Uh, and it, it, before we get back to your sickness, I want to ask one other question. You said something earlier, stack your proof uh, instead of doubt. Can, so as you are sick, uh, as you got this diagnosis, as you decide to enter these clinical trials and you decide I, the story I'm going to tell myself is I'm going to thrive, what when you say you, you were stacking your proof, what does that mean or what did that mean? So, well, let's start with the opposite. And what we all, all humans pretty much have a tendency to, in a moment like that, stack all their doubts. Yeah. Oh my God, the statistics are horrendous. Everybody dies from this disease. There's no way out. You know, how could I ever survive this if there's only a 5% chance? Like we stack all the reasons why it's horrible. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to say is that if you want a result that is something you really would like your outcome to be, you must stack your proof. And we all have proof. You and I are sitting here today, not having lived a life of no challenge or no problems. We've had many. We've had many challenges, many dark, dark days 
that in the moment felt like we'd never make it through, but we're here today. That's right. How did we overcome that? We have proof that we overcame some challenge that seemed insurmountable. We have proof of having achieved things that we dreamed of achieving, but we never thought that we could. We all have proof of how we achieved something we didn't think we could and how we overcame something that seemed insurmountable. In those moments, we must advocate for ourselves. You would do this for someone you love. Right. You'd remind them of, remember that last time you thought you'd never get through this, but you did and you found this great joy on the other side. You would do this for others, but we don't do that for ourselves. That's correct. So what I'm saying is that for you, when you're in the midst of a challenge, stack your proof, remind yourself, give yourself that pep talk, you know, be the first responder to your own suffering. Be that for yourself. A lot of us wait for someone to read our minds that we need help or we need them to say the right thing. And we wait and we wait and we wait and people aren't mind readers, so we don't get it. But Mm -hmm. we can do that for ourselves. We can do that. Stack your proof, not your doubts. And that even, you know, goes for if you have a job interview. Instead of thinking of all the reasons why you're not going to get the job, Let's tell yourself the truth about all the reasons why you you can. Like, or, remind yourself of your strengths. Or if you're, like, uh, interviewing a world champion triathlete who's just damn inspiring. You got to stack your proof so you're ready for it, right? <laughs> well, you're amazing, Kevin. So I was nervous for this because oh. I think you're just awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much. I um, mean it. I, I, pr- I really appreciate that. Um, I do want to ask you one of the – I'm going to say moving a lot when I talk about your book. One of the most moving things for me – was the relationship and what your mother did as well. It was your mother and your, and your wife, um, you know, who were there just constantly. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your mother did when you were very ill and what it meant to you? Oh, God. My mom, I mean, first of all, she's one of the bravest and most courageous human beings on this planet. And I think one of her greatest gifts is to take a really horrible situation and somehow bring light to it Mm. just with who she is, just with her being. But I remember it was during COVID and the hospital was shutting down where people that were on long-term stays couldn't have guests, couldn't have people come visit because of the threat. So my mom and she has, you know, she owns a dog grooming parlor and she has dogs at home and and so many other responsibilities. She gave up all of it to basically live in the hospital with me. And, you know, I'm being woken up every hour to have blood work done, machines going off. And I have this thing, you know, this guilt of like, I can't believe, you know, this may be you know, ruining my life in a way right now, but I don't have to ruin hers, but I felt like I was yet. I'd wake up every morning and I'd say, mom, oh my God, it must've been such an awful night. Did you sleep? She'd be like, oh, I slept like an absolute baby last (laughs) night, you know? Yeah. And you knew that she didn't, you knew that she got woken up every hour too. And then the biggest, you know, she just never left my side. My wife had been at this gala before I went into hospital where somebody got COVID. So my wife couldn't come anywhere oh, near no. me, but my mom, she never left my side number one. And then 
something I'll never forget. I, I know you didn't ask this, but I'm going to share it because I think it's important. Please. About two months into this, she looked at me and she said, you know, Siri, I haven't seen you smile in months. And for me, like smiling and gratitude and appreciation is like my identity. And I started to cry. And she said to me, she said, you don't have to be happy to smile, mm. but you need to smile in order to open yourself up to something that could bring you happiness. So she started like getting me to, to start trying to fake a smile, which mm -hmm. felt really strange for me. Sure. And, but she was right. You know, think about like what we do with our bodies. Like right now, Kevin, you and I could do depressed, right? Like let's do depressed. Oh yeah. It's one of my we'll specialties. We'll just over. Yeah. We'll drop our shoulders. We'll talk like real quietly mm. and, We'll think about Slowly, naps. Think about something horrible. Like we, like we can do depressed, right? Yeah. Don't get too depressed. Oh, we're okay. Still, oh, well, Brent okay. is still here. <laughs> but so we can do depressed, but we can also like the number one thing we can do for ourselves to feel better is to get out of that depressed stance, you know, stand tall, bring mm. your shoulders back. Talk a little bit louder. Talk a little bit faster. Suddenly we feel a little bit better. And so sometimes we've got to fake it till we make it. I know some people hate that, but you know what? I'm sorry. It's true. And, you know, stand as if you're not depressed. Mm. Talk as if you're not depressed. And suddenly you feel a little bit better. As I started putting a smile on my face, even when I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I just felt a little bit better. And just my mom being there and sharing that and reminding me of who I am and who I like being. I like being the person that smiles and, and appreciates and has gratitude for every breath that I take. Like I love being her because when I'm her, I'm happy and life is good. And I, and I am bringing my best self into the world mm -hmm. when I'm this other, you know, depressed and sad and complaining and this and that. I don't, like living that experience of life that she lives. Right. So I need to show up as a person that I want to be the person that, that gives me the experience of life that I want to live. Mm -hmm. And we all get to do that. We all are the conductors of our own symphony of life. It, it's, it's, um, it's so empowering to even think that way because I think speaking for myself and I think a lot of people don't think they are the conductor of shit, right? Um, unless of course they're a conductor of an orchestra, but you, you say you, you mentioned gratitude a moment ago because you, something that you said in the book, change the channel to gratitude, right? So, um, a good example of that in my life would be this. I joke with Brent all the time and stuff, but what I always try to do is tell Brent how thankful I am that he is allowing me to use his studio, that he produces the show, that he gives me the ins and the outs on what I should and shouldn't do about like podcasting, just that he is kind to me. Just being grateful to somebody for being kind is one of the most amazing feelings because you see that in other people and then you're seeing it in yourself too. One million percent. And it's, it's just like love. When we love another, mm -hmm. we feel that love, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so we're not relying on someone else to bring that to us. But in feeling that gratitude, it's, it's filling you up too. But 
for me, what I, and, and I've always been someone that has had a deep gratitude for life and the people in it. I've always had that. But now after what I've been through, it's like beyond anything I've ever experienced before, because what I realized, you know, gratitude was the bridge from despair to hope for me. And I'll give you an example, you know, lying in my hospital bed and just so sick and so weak and so terrified, but I'd catch myself in, in that just deep pain and suffering. And I would say, Siri, focusing on everything that's wrong and that's horrible is not going to help you heal. So I would remember my outcome is to survive this and to thrive. Right. So what I would change the channel to was gratitude. And that would just mean all I had to do is look over at the couch and see my mom lying there. and, And I felt so grateful and think about the umbilical cord and my sister that were my donors that came together to give me life, the doctors and nurses, everything. Suddenly when we're in a state of gratitude, that's a much higher energy level than fear, doubt, anxiety, we're all those things. It's a higher energy level. And from that energy space, we become more resourceful. We make better decisions as far as what to focus on, right? what meaning to give whatever's happening to us in that moment. So as I moved to gratitude, suddenly I had more energy and I thought, oh, let me look around at the walls of my hospital room where I had a vision board covering every single inch of the walls. Yeah. That was like reminding me of what was waiting for me on the other side of this fight, you know? And then, and then I'd look at this, this poster that I had in my hospital room. This was my proof that the impossible is really possible. Yeah, and this is the picture of you in 2001 winning the world championship of the triathlon, right? That's right. My impossible dream came true on that day. So this was my reminder. This was my proof that the impossible is really possible. And then I think probably one of the most powerful things of all is I would close my eyes and I would imagine running up my favorite mountain trail. And I would use all five senses. I want you all to to try this and to get into the habit of doing this every day because every day as I lay there sick and weak and tired, I would close my eyes and imagine myself running with strength and energy up my favorite mountain trail. I'd feel like the warmth of the sun on my cheeks. I'd feel the cool breeze running through my hair. I'd hear my wife encouraging me, you got this, Siri, you got this. I'd smell the wildflowers and then I'd see myself getting to the top and celebrating, you know, I'm cancer free. I get to live. This is what I was envisioning as I'm lying in my hospital bed. But because I used all my senses, it felt almost real. Like almost in that moment, I felt the joy. I felt the strength, the energy, the health. And I did this every single day, this exact vision using all five senses And one year after my bone marrow transplant, I ran that trail. The the exact trail? The exact trail. And Kevin, I'm telling you, I felt this warmth of the sun on my cheeks, cool breeze through my hair, my wife, you know, encouraging me, the smell of the wildflowers and getting to the top. It was exactly as I had envisioned it. And there is a power in this. I know you, I know some of you are probably thinking, ah, oh, bullshit, that doesn't work. Like, how can that work? Your body and mind don't know that this is happening in reality or in your mind. But what it does know is this is something that you are manifesting. 
something that you want to create. And I just feel that I have a belief that as we do that, as we lay out our intention to ourselves, to the universe, to God, to whatever it is that you believe in, that we will then move closer and closer to that because we're priming ourselves for it. So back to just the initial answer, Kevin, I'm sorry that was so long, but gratitude gratitude was the bridge from despair to hope because it gave me more energy and that energy led to making better decisions about what to focus on and what to do in that moment of suffering. It's to imagine my compelling future. It's to see it and feel it and know it. Um, uh, you know, and you mentioned, God, do you ever watch Sesame Street? I did. My yeah. God, every single day. Hell yeah. Remember when they'd say, this episode of Sesame Street is brought to you by the letter B. And then they had those little Beatles and they put letter B, letter B. Anyway, I have to get my Beatles reference in. Um, I, I was about to say, you mentioned your sister and you mentioned uh, the umbilical cord. And I was going to say, this podcast is brought to you by the word moving because it was very touching and moving when you talked about what your sister did for you and then the the umbilical cord um, uh, donor. And your sister, she donated bone marrow. Is that correct? Yep. So so both. Basically what happens is, and this was a clinical trial, uh, my sister donated her bone marrow cells. And the umbilical cord donor donated the umbilical cord donor cells. And on the day of the transplant, they bring the two together. And my sister, because she's older, her cells teach the baby cells what to do, how to run my immune system. Okay. And as soon as the baby cells learn, they then kill off my sister's cells because they're younger and stronger and they take over. So right now my immune system is that of a three-year-old. Oh, wow. It's basically a whole new immune system. And it was given to me by, brought to you by, <laughs> my beautiful sister, Lisa, and this incredible umbilical cord. And my sister taught those cells how to do their work. And, you know, they're doing an incredible job. And I feel so blessed and so grateful. It's a miracle, really. Yeah, and it, even in the um, the... Uh, PDF copy of the book that I had and the, there was a section of photos and the photo of your sister um, when she's obviously either done, just got done doing the donation or whatever. It's like a photo of love, right? Because anybody who knows anything about bone marrow transplants, my understanding is really fucking painful. And she's in that chair, but she's smiling on her face, but you could tell that she's been through something. And it's that type of love uh, that again, that was so moving that your sister would do that for you. And I, I just, um, I don't know. I was really struck. I was struck by a number of the pictures in the book, but that was definitely one that really hit home because I know as much, again, as much shit as I give my sister, I know if I needed it, she would do it in a minute. And that talk about turning the channel to gratitude. Oh my God. And Kevin, thank you. Thank you for appreciating that to the extent that I would hope you would, you know, because it meant everything to me. It's not like my sister and I have had an easy road. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two of us, we've actually had a very difficult relationship for pretty much most of our lives. But this 
when she said yes to this. And I wasn't sure that she would because of the nature of our relationship, but she didn't hesitate. She ran to the hospital to do this for me. She cleaned up her life so that she could do it in a way that would give us our best chances. And I think in some not strange way, but miraculous way, it's exactly what she needed. Mm -hmm. Have the opportunity to save my life has been huge for her. You know, I think it's something where she feels and knows, not just feels, but she knows the magnitude of the gift that she gave me. And I think that has really given her something that she's been searching for, for a lifetime. Again, another gift, right? Mm -hmm. Right. A gift that brought me and my sister back together again, a gift that gave her purpose, a gift that um, really gave me an experience of a love at a depth that I would have never imagine between the two of us. Yeah. You, and you talk, um, so sticking with family and such, when I was in high school, um, a movie came out called Rushmore, which is a Wes Anderson movie. And then right after that was the Royal Tenenbaums. These were two really important movies to me and, and my best friend and other people in my life. And the tagline for Royal Tenenbaums is one of my favorite ever. It's family's not a word. It's a sentence, which makes me laugh. Because it's true, but also you talk in your book about how I think it was Christmases or you would come in to these experiences with your family. I think we've all gone home for a holiday and we're thinking, oh, God, oh, God, just let it be over. Let it be over. And you realized, hey, these fights are happening every year. Here's what I'm contributing to that. And here's how I can change this and say, hey, I'm lucky to be here with my mom and my sister. And I understand that. Um, and I could be getting this wrong as in memory, but you like, I understand why my sister's frustrated. It has not, it, and I, I'm empathetic to that and, you know, jumping around a little bit, but you said in the book as well, another really line that I love is that, uh, my good Lord, we are, we are now I'll come back to it cause I can't find it, but it's about how basically we're hardwired for empathy, but what stops us is our own pain. Right. Yeah. I believe that fully. I, I, I believe in that 1 million percent. It's what kept me from truly connecting with my sister and having the compassion and empathy that I wanted to have. But to go back to that Christmas, you know, here's the thing, what we expect, and, and this is where focus goes, energy flows. If you're expecting your family dinner to be this horrible experience, oh my God, just get this over with, (laughs) you show up in a way that is going to inevitably create that. So for me, I would go anticipating what happened every year that we'd have this wonderful start and my mom would make this beautiful effort and then my sister would drink too much and we'd get in an argument, the big blow up and everything would end and it would be this horrible, sad holiday. Mm -hmm. So what I realized was, what if I decided to show up and be really intentional? So we all can choose to be intentional before these family events and say, what do I want to experience? 
I knew that on this Christmas, I wanted to experience my mom's beautiful effort that she put into making it the perfect Christmas. I wanted to experience love and connection and celebration. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if I want to experience that, how must I show up? Well, I can't show up judgmental. I can't show up expecting the worst. I can't show up like watching how much my sister's drinking. I'm going to show up with love and gratitude and meeting every single person here as their highest selves, seeing the very best, focusing on what I love about them, focusing on, you know, my sister's big heart and how deeply she loves and what a great sense of humor she has. So this time I showed up and I'm meeting her as her highest self. People feel that. Yeah. If you show up like, oh, I've got my my brother, we always argue, that energy will be felt by him and he will respond in exactly the way you expect him to. But show up seeing the highest version of them, they feel that mm-hmm. and they, they, they show up as that. So this time what happened, you know, maybe she had a little bit too much to drink. She doesn't drink anymore. I'm so proud of her. Had a little bit too much to drink. And we start having a conversation. We're like, let's not focus on that. We're having such a wonderful time. And we had the best Christmas of my entire life. It is up to us because what we expect to experience, we show up in anticipation and the energy we bring will create that. We find what we're looking for, no matter what. So if you're looking for things to go bad, they will, because you're going to find evidence for it. You're going to create it if you have to. If what you're looking for is a wonderful evening of celebration and love and connection, you will find that. Because that's what you're looking for. It's yeah. Uh, what I'm looking for, yes, um, yes. I guess I, I, you don't think about it that way, right? If I'm speaking about myself, when I think about oh, this is going to go poorly, that all ties back to my own anxiety and my fear. And my fear is always I create a world, and it's usually the worst possible scenario, right? Yeah, of and course. so then that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. As I'm there. And I, the way that you put that makes a lot of sense to me, um, really does make a lot of sense. And I, by the way, having read the book, I'm really happy to hear that your sister's doing well. Really happy. Right. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That means the world. And she, she deserves that, you know? Yeah. Such a love. And she's had problems. She's had a lot of challenges. But I think in me extending love for her instead of judgment, and getting everyone else in the family to do the same, to, to see her for all the love she is and, and the beauty in her, she's showing up as that. Mm-hmm. When all we're focusing on is a problem she is and this and that and the other, like she's going to show up exactly as we expect her to. Exactly. But she's really coming into her own and I'm so proud of her and I just love her with all my heart. All I want is for her to be happy, but I had to let go of my own pain to help her become the person that I knew her to be, but wasn't focusing on. Yeah. And you say your own pain and I'm thinking about self-love and I'm thinking about all of these things. And I don't know how many times I've told, say a romantic partner, like, Oh, you know, when I'm over there grumbling and it looks like I'm going to throw a building, I'm so frustrated or I'm sad or whatever. That's mainly me dealing with myself But of course you are feeling that. And I'm sorry that you are feeling that. 
right? It took me a long time to realize, oh, that's me dealing with myself. And that shit comes, it just brr, brr, just comes off of you in a, in, in a way. You know? That does. That's yeah. exactly right. So when you're feeling pain or you're focusing on all the wrong things, mm-hmm. what's wrong, the problem, what you don't want to have happen, that energy, even when it comes down to, like you're saying, uh, like doubt, you know, before you start a podcast or before you go into an interview and there's this doubt, like, are you going to deliver your best podcast or your best interview if you're coming in focusing on every reason why this isn't going to be good or why I should doubt myself? You're not. You're setting yourself up to be less than. Yes. So we must for ourselves, just like if, if, if I was going into that meeting or I was doing that podcast, you'd be building me up saying, Sylvia, you got this, you know, just be you. And, and like, we need to be that inner advocate for ourselves and it doesn't come easy, but the more we do it, we become better at it. And it's worth every day asking yourself, you know, how did I love myself today? How did I encourage myself today? And as you challenge yourself with that, you may say, not at all. I didn't, and in any point did I love myself or advocate for myself. Then you become more aware and then you're going to try in at least a couple moments to do something loving for you mm-hmm. or to encourage yourself rather than put yourself down before you go into an important meeting. So becoming aware and asking that question will make you accountable to you. And I think that that's so important to start conditioning this new behavior taking yourself by the hand rather than like shoving yourself in the corner. (laughs) Give it a try and see how that impacts not just your performance, but your relationships with others and yourself. Right. And, and you said the word uh, patterns earlier. I use that word all the time when I talk about my struggles, right? We, we build our patterns. And I think in that case where it's like, okay, a good example of me is like, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, how did, how did it get, how did today go? Did I love myself? And I go through and I say, no, immediately you talk a lot about this voice in my, in your head. Uh, immediately it's like, well, you fucking idiot. God damn it. Why can't you just love yourself? This is the easiest thing in the world, right? You're already, it's like, whoa, 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 slow down. This is the, the time where kindness and grace is not only, um, possible, but it's kind of essential. And, um, you know, I have a voice in my head. I've named him Frank and he, he's a real prick and he's got a lot, a lot, a lot to say. And you talk a little bit about that, your struggles with anxiety and such. Um, but to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to not listen to that. I'm going to, I'm going to say, Hey, I kind of, you know what? I didn't love myself today. So I'm going to focus on, uh, as you said, I'm going to do something that I love now, which is like, uh, I don't know throw a donut at Brent or something. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I just, I, I think that's great. And I think that people, there's a couple other things I definitely want to get to. Um, but I've told the story to some people about a couple weeks ago when I called you and we spoke before we were going to record and you, you answered the phone and you made a line in Tony Robbins's foreword in your book come true. Um, Tony Robbins says the instant I heard Siri say hello, I fell in love with her love of life. And I was telling people after I spoke with you, you were like, you answered the phone and you said, hello, Kevin. And I was like, all of my, uh, most of my doubts and fear and nervousness just went boop 
gone. And I was like, what's going on, Siri? And then we just had a great conversation. Fast. And so I, I, I think people obviously can hear that as they're listening to this. But the fact that you made uh, a line of Tony Robbins like in his forward, you're like, oh, see, here's me doing what he said. I mean, that's I think that's pretty incredible. Well, first of all, thank you. And that means a world to me. And I think there's a belief that I have that imagine changing everything in life that you do to something you get to do. Like, like I'm alive. Mm. Like I am alive. I get to do a big sink full of dishes because it means that we have enough money to not only buy food and put it on plates, but we can actually share it with people that we love. Like I am, how blessed am I that I get to do the dishes? How blessed am I that I get to do the laundry? I, I don't have to wear the same outfit every single day. I don't live in a, in a robe or a toga. Like I feel honestly like every single breath that I take is such a gift. It's a miraculous gift, not just for me, but think about it. Like we get one shot here, you guys, one shot. And it could be very easy to look at the past and it's been real struggle. It's been so hard. Like, God, I just got to get through. I have to live this life, mm. get through tomorrow. You can do that. But is that, is that the life you want to live? Like love yourself enough to decide that you want more and that you can have more. But it's not going to fall in your lap. It's not going to just happen. We have to will that. We have to become that. We have to focus on things that will give us the energy that we need to create that. So that was the ultimate compliment. And thank you, Kevin. I, I just, all the things, I guess, uh, a lot of things that I struggle with, for example, as a child and growing up, I, I felt very unseen. I felt unseen. I felt unheard. I felt like I just didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And in my life now, I think that what we all can do as human beings is we can be that that we didn't receive as kids, the things that hurt us, the things that tormented us. Let's go be that, not only for ourselves, but let's go be that for other people. So, for example, when I do a Tony Robbins talk, there's thousands of people there. Mm -hmm. And when I finish, I get off stage and they have people walking with me and they're like, come on, let's push you through. And, and I stop and I say hello to everyone that comes over to me because I want them to know that I see you and you matter to me. And I want you to know that. I want you to know I see you. I hear you. You matter. That's so important to me because I know what it feels like to not be seen, to not be heard. I will never make someone feel what I felt. So how can we be all that we want? You know, if we want to feel more love, let's give more love. If we want to feel more respect, let's give more respect. If we want to feel more appreciated, let's appreciate people more. Like all I know, Kevin, is that I love the work that you do. And I think that it is so incredibly important. And it felt like such a beautiful opportunity to take this time together with you and with your listeners and with Brent <laughs> to share our stories that could potentially help someone in some small way. Right. 
let's be all that we want and let, and allow your, give yourself permission to find joy. Give yourself permission to be loved and to love yourself. Give yourself permission to live the life that you dream of living because you know what? You deserve it and it's never too late, ever. That's very true. And uh, you, you, you think, first of all, let me, hold on, let me turn the dial here to gratitude. There we go. Um, thank you for that kind, uh, the kind thing that you said about, you know, what we're doing here with the podcast that truly does mean a lot. It, it all stems from um, when I did a one-person show about my own struggles with anxiety throughout my life. And the goal there was to be like, look at all this weird shit, okay? I bet you have weird shit. Let's have weird shit together and it'll be okay. So thank you so much for saying that. It, it means a lot to me. Um, the, it, one other thing I want to – two other things I want to make sure to get to. One, you talk so, we'll say movingly, um, about animals in your book. And uh, you use this phrase, uh, not only for yourself, but I believe for your mother at least, of soulmate dog. And there's a picture, another one of my favorite pictures with you. Is it over there? Okay. It's over there. I'm sorry you can't see it. That's okay. With you and your soulmate dog, Calvin. I wanted to ask, where did Calvin get his name? You know when you just – you get – a dog and you just know what the yeah. name is. I have no idea where the name came from, Okay, but it suited him so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So there is no reason to that. But anytime I meet a Calvin, I am instantly like deeply connected because of the impact this dog has had on me. Yeah. And I, again, I didn't learn much about him, but I could tell what it meant. And then when you and I spoke on the phone, you're like, hey, Kevin, do you ever uh, pay attention to the way dogs react when you come home? Have you ever tried doing that with people? And it's like, yeah, that's that's because they're present. They're there. They're just like, oh, my God, you're back. Ah, you know, and, and the all that greatest stuff. Day, moment of the day. They look forward to that moment all day is like the high. We have a lot of highlights in our day or things that we have to do. But all they want is that time with you. Yeah, exactly. And um it's funny. Uh, one of my close friends who was the last guest on this podcast, his name is John Thomas. He always calls me Calvin instead of Kevin. He calls oh, me Calvin. No way. Way, man. He does. Are you doing Calvin? That's what he says. <laughs> that is amazing. I knew I felt connected to you on a deeper <laughs> level. That's amazing. And yeah, my, my point to you was imagine if we loved as deeply and unconditionally as dogs love us. We can have the worst day possible, but we come home and we're an absolute hero. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. what if we treated our loved ones that way? What if we showed that presence? What if we showed that gratitude? What if we showed, you know, and this might get a little creepy, but like you leave for five minutes to go get the mail from your mailbox and you come back and it's like, oh my God, Kevin. <laughs> like, obviously that's not going to happen, but that same, God, that same just devotion. And I think it starts with working towards devoting yourself to you. Let's try and show that same devotion to ourselves as far as wanting to make our own selves happy, wanting to acknowledge our own selves, wanting to elevate our own selves like a dog would do for us. And I feel when I lost Calvin, my God, I mean... 
some people may laugh and say, God, it's only a dog. It felt like I had just lost a child if I'd ever had one. Mm -hmm. And maybe he came into my life to make me aware of how important it was for me to care for myself as he cared for me, for me to love myself as he loved me and to show me the way to teach me how. Yeah. Um, and I honor him in that way by having that be something that I aim to do every single day. I'm not perfect, but I aim to do it every day. Sorry, you just said that. Uh, a number of years ago, I, I had this realization to myself. I said, the only thing that makes sense 100% of the time is kindness. And then what I would do is like, I should be kind always. And then when I wasn't kind, I would be like, beating myself up. Uh, and then my close friend Markham said to me, well, Kevin, nobody's going to be kind 100% of the time, but it is the noble goal. Make it your goal, but know that you're not always going to get it and then be nicer to yourself when you don't. Um, and oh, beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, and then behind you to your left, there is, is that Savannah? Yes. Okay, oh so God. Savannah is a horse. It's a beautiful horse. And one of the, I'm not going to use the word moving. Brent, uh, we need to get a thesaurus, okay? Um, <laughs> one of the beautiful things in the book is what you and your wife, gosh, it was only, how many years ago was it that you guys decided to focus on horse rescue uh, and six saving horses? Years. Just six years. Six years. And and you were walking, and I think you were walking by a, pl a place, and you had never ridden a horse, which I haven't ridden, a, ho ridden a horse, nor do I know how to swim. So... Uh, but you talk about horses so beautifully and you talk about, so tell us a little bit just about what you and your wife are really, and are going to take no for an answer. Or you will not take no for an answer. What you guys are pushing by lobbying Congress, by holding events, all of those things. One that I believe that you called in from your hospital bed, if I remember correctly. Yeah. 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 Big gala to raise money to lobby in D.C. to pass a bill that will ban the slaughter of American horses for human consumption. Here's the thing. The practice is so brutal and horrific. 60,000 horses a year are slaughtered for human consumption. And it starts with <sighs> a five-day trailer ride cramped in trailers with like 60 horses, some of them die, some of them lose legs, some of them lose eyes, no food, no water. And when they arrive in Mexico or Canada to be slaughtered, they are dismembered alive. And it is the most horrific. Now, I didn't know any of this. All I know is I rescued this horse mm -hmm. seven years ago, and she changed my life. And I then decided what why did what what did I rescue her from? Mm -hmm. And that's when I saw the videos. And the moment I saw those videos and I showed it to my wife, we knew that our lives would never be the same. We had to do something. So we created our nonprofit Believe Ranch and Rescue. Since then we've rescued 265 horses from wow. slaughter. Wow. And here's the beautiful and powerful thing about it is these horses have gone on to heal humans through equine therapy, which events we run at least one a month at our ranch here. It is 
simply amazing how this has come full circle and the power of these healers. And, but the problem was like, here we rescued 265 and it's a bandaid. There's still all these horses like going through this horrific fate. So we created a second nonprofit horses in our hands that has reached 94 million homes And we have, through our raising awareness campaign, we've dropped the numbers from 60,000 two years ago to 23,000 this past year. 37,000? No. So it went from 60,000 to, yeah, 37,000. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. So here's my issue. Okay. I get sad. I'm like, oh my God, we could only, we could only, there's still 23,000 being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And then a beautiful, beautiful friend of mine said, Siri, do you understand that 37,000 horses are still alive today because of your work? Yeah. And this is another situation. Change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Because mm-hmm. I was getting so down. We were so exhausted thinking about 23,000 still going. And then we thought 37,000 are still alive because of our work. And that shifted everything for us. It reinvigorated us. And now we're still in the fight, lobbying in D.C. and working together with some other amazing um, groups to put an end to this. But it's another impossible dream that seems impossible. People look at us, laugh and say, who do you think you are? Like you're going to pass federal legislation. Well, let me tell you. We have gotten this closer than it's ever been in 20 years, and we will not stop yep. until we end this brutal practice. Uh, yeah, and 37,000 is just remarkable, and it's kind of like what Markham said to me. You're trying to be kind all the time. It's okay if you fail, and you guys are going to do everything that you can. And it's the noble, one of the more noble pursuits I've ever heard of. And if, if I, did I remember correctly, like the next day you started the nonprofit after you guys next watched day. the video? I yeah. was up all night online on legal zoom, creating the nonprofit. And by the next day we had our non, well, we didn't have it cause it wasn't official, but I'd created, got it in the works and we went and saved five horses. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that reminds me, I got to create an LLC. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to, I could talk to you all day. I really could this. Um, I could and uh, I want to end with something the way your book ends. Okay. Um, is it's, you know, I think it was Joe Hill who's Stephen King's son. Uh, he said something about, oh, if you read the acknowledgements page, acknowledgements page and shame on you if you don't, because both his parents are authors as well. Um, you end your book with pages and pages of gratitude towards so many people. And it's not just like, uh, Hey, Lisa being your sister. Hey, Lisa, thank you for the blood marrow donation. No, it's like two paragraphs for each person that you speak to. And it's genuine and kind. And, um, it just really, really floored me as I was finishing the book. And I read all of those because you want to talk about how you read a book and then you see it in action in the same book. Uh, is I just was so moved by that show of appreciation and gratitude. And I hope when people go out and do get the book, you know, do not miss that uh, because it is you living the life that you are telling us we are all able to have. 
and you are, I just was so moved by that. And I wanted to just call that out and say how much I love that. Thank you, Kevin. I just, I wouldn't be who I am today without every single one of those people, their influence, their impact on me. And I even feel thankful to the people that hurt me. Yeah. I'm thankful for the lessons I learned. I'm thankful for who I became and in moving through that. Like, I just think none of us are an island. And what would life be if we were all here all by ourselves, you know? And um, the love and gratitude that I feel for every single one of those people. And I'm sure that there are people that I didn't list that I would have liked to, but that may have been overkill for all of you readers. Um, but thank you for acknowledging that. And, and because in acknowledging that it's going to get people to think about the people in their lives that they feel grateful for again, who wouldn't you be without their influence? Even if they were only in your life for a short season, what did they bring? Who wouldn't you be today if you hadn't met them? Right. And yes. And I think uh, probably going to, I might get this wrong, but I think Sartre said hell is other people to which I say, Hell is forgetting other people. Yes. In my opinion. Absolutely. And think about this too. You know, when we as humans feel appreciated, Mm -hmm. fills us up. We want to do more. Like, you know, we, we, it brings out the best in us. And I want people to know that who they are and what they bring into the world is touching lives and it's making a difference. So keep doing that. Keep bringing that into other people's lives because it's valuable. It's a gift and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Um, I I also wanted to tell you that I thought about what my values would be Uh, throughout the book. There are exercises um, that, that you can do that, that'll help you get to kind of what, what Siri has been talking about today. And I chose mine. Number one would be kindness. Number two would be honesty. Number three would be silliness. These are my three. Those are the three that I chose. I wanted to let you know that because I've been thinking a lot about those. God, I love that. I love that, Kevin. I love that. And oftentimes, you know, there are things that we want that we, that we're not living our lives in alignment with what matters most. But once we realize, geez, kindness matters most to me. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be, I'm going to emphasize that. Right. I'm going to emphasize the silliness because it really matters to me. And oftentimes when we're not living in alignment to what matters most to us, we feel disappointed. We feel sad. We don't feel, you know, happy with our lives. And some, a lot of times we can't under, we can't put a, um, uh, put a put a finger on why that is, right? So figure out what matters most to you and look at, are you experiencing that, you know, many times every day in your life? And if the answer is no, no wonder. Let's really emphasize finding this, being kind, recognizing kindness when it's delivered, being silly, searching out silly. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Kevin. And it's so powerful. And I hope that just in being able to acknowledge and, and developing awareness of that, that you're going to experience more of that. And that's just going to elevate your whole experience. I hope so, too. Um, you know, as we're wrapping up, Siri, you've said a – I really do hope so. I, you've said a number of really profound things, and I am so unbelievably grateful for you um, reaching out, coming on the podcast, sharing 
your story, sharing your book with me. Um, and, um, I just have been looking forward to this conversation for, for a long time and it was just wonderful. And, you know, before we go, I just want to say thank you. And I wanted to ask, is there anything else that you would like to say as we wrap up, um, before we wrap up? I'm just so grateful for you, Kevin. I knew from our phone call a week ago, um, that I wanted to spend this time with you and your listeners and that your mission is a mission that I care deeply about. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my heart, to share my story, to hopefully make a difference in somebody here today listening. And I really hope that all of you listening, I would love for you to go get my book, not because I want to be a best-selling author, but because I know that in some small way or some big way, it's going to be a gift. It was certainly a gift for me, even when I was reading it in preparation for this interview. Again, the name of the book is Finding a Way, Taking the Impossible and Making it Possible. Uh, it comes out on June 20th. We should probably, I'm sure we'll have a pre-order link, uh, as well as a number, a couple other things in the show notes today. Siri, I've said it again. I'll say it one more time. Thank you so much for your time today. It, is, it has been a pleasure. I really Thank appreciate so it. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, each and every one of you listening. What a joy. What a privilege. So grateful. Yes. And just remember, even when you're in the really, really tough times, and uh, by the way, we only scratched the surface on on some of the stuff that, that Siri was able to overcome that you will find out in the book, but there's always room for kindness and grace no matter what, and especially when you're dealing with yourself. So be a little kinder. There's always room for kindness and grace. We appreciate you listening to Sad Times, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.